I want to start this morning with a little bit, we haven't had enough fun yet, okay, juggling and all this stuff. I want to start with a little bit of a game, okay, and so what I want to do is I want to throw a few situations at you, uh, through circumstances at you, and uh, go ahead, I'm, I'm going to give you a few ideas and tell me if you think these things are worthy of your time, worthy of, of your investment, go ahead and give me a thumbs up, okay, whatever you want to do, or if you think that they are a waste of your time or your talent, you can give me a thumbs down, something like that, okay, so here we go, for example, uh, oh, a couple things, there's no wrong answers, okay, this is entirely used, whatever metric of measurement you uh, would prefer to figure out if you think this is a worthy investment or waste. Uh, there's no wrong answer. The only rule is be honest, okay? You got to be honest. Here we go. The first one. Do you think it is a worthy investment or a waste to spend about an hour or more on social media per day? Thumbs up, thumbs down. And there's no wrong, right or wrong answers. I see lots of thumbs down. Oh, boy, that's good. You're making me feel convicted, though. <laughs> you know, I think it could be argued, you know, spending time with, I see some side thumbs. That's, yeah, you could, you could probably argue, you know, seeing pictures of the grandkids or maybe, you know, seeing what the family's up to, things like that, or keeping up with friends, you know, maybe, maybe an hour or so. What about this one? It's, it's a common trope in our culture today, gentlemen. When you decide to purchase that engagement ring, do you spend three months' salary on the ring? That's kind of the trope. Is that a worthy investment? Is that a waste? Put it towards the wedding, right, or your future house or something, right? I, I saw I said a couple of both. Okay, all right. Okay. What about... Okay, remember, be honest. Here we go. Three or more monthly streaming service subscriptions. So think like Netflix, Hulu, you know, all that stuff. Three or more. Thumbs up. I've got my thumb up on this one. <laughs> so you know, we're about half and half. Thumbs down, thumbs up. Streaming is the new cable, okay? I mean, that's just the way the world is going. All right, what about, okay, use whatever metric of measurement you would prefer. What about a full eight hours of sleep? Worthy investment or, or not? What about, <laughs> it's because you don't. What, what about... I'm seeing a lot of thumbs up. We recognize the value of that. What about 10 hours of sleep? Is that a waste? Hey, that changed it. Thumbs down. That's a waste of a day. <laughs> there's, there's a couple thumbs up. Okay. Here we go. What about worthy investment or a waste? When you go to the movies, movie theater concessions, are you going to stop and get the 200% inflated price, popcorn, candy, drinks, thumbs up? <laughs> what is, look at you good Nazarenes. No one around here stuffs their purse and, you know, sneaks stuff in. Oh, wouldn't do that. <laughs> what about, here's, here's okay. What about, is it a worthy investment or a waste? What about a Disney vacation? Worthy investment. I, was, I knew there was going to be thumbs up over here. Worthy investment or waste? Someone's like, eh, I don't know, you know. A little bit, of, little bit of both. It's coming in your future. So you could just. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, all right, okay. Last one. We're all friends here, right? This is, this is going to get divisive, okay? This will be the worst one yet. Got to be honest. Here we go. 
The last one, getting your favorite scooters or gold nutrition drink three times in the same week. Worthy investment, waste of your, your time and energy. Yeah, we know, we know. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. See, I kind of already knew because especially the gold nutrition, I see it all over your Facebook, so I know what you were going <laughs> to... That's okay. Okay, so the reason I ask these questions is simply this. The question that we find in the text this morning asks us, how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? And how do you know if your designation is accurate? How do you know? What, what metric do you apply to that? And I think for those of us who maybe grew up in the church, we've been around here for a while, we follow Jesus, you know, I think like intellectually we would say, you know, yeah, like he's, he's my whole life, he's worth everything, and, and, and yes, and that's good. But, but like practically, how does that play out in your day-to-day life? He, he may be your whole life, but like the juggler, what kind of evidence in your life would suggest that? And, and don't misunderstand me, friends. We have a great church full of devoted people to Jesus. And, and so many of you are just are, are an inspiration to me, I think, truthfully. But, but what is the evidence? Does the evidence back your answer? How much is Jesus worth to you? And, and how do you... Uh, evaluate the designation you place on that. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Mark, I'm sorry, chapter 14. We've only been in it for a year. You think I could get it right there. Uh, But Mark chapter 14, we're starting uh, chapter 14 today, so we're starting right there in verse 1. And while you uh, turn to uh, the page, allow me to just kind of set the stage for today's story. You see, Over the course of the Gospel of Mark, Mark has been using these themes of outsiders, people who should know Jesus and understand what he's up to, but don't, and and so outsiders, and insiders, people who you wouldn't think would get Jesus, people who you wouldn't think would uh, spend a lot of time around Jesus, or Jesus would spend a lot of time around them, but they do. And so it's this theme of outsiders versus insiders. And, and now, as we approach Jesus' last week of life, the lines are going to become a little bit more concrete. The, the, as the dust kind of settles, uh, people on both sides will start to take their stances very, sometimes creatively, sometimes very extravagantly, but definitely in big and dramatic ways. But before we get to the final moments of Jesus' life, Mark has one more story that he wants to tell us by, again, contrasting the outsiders and the insiders. And and just a, a quick note before we jump into the text here, this story that we're about to read this morning, like many other stories we find in the gospel, is repeated in the other gospels. However, I think it's worth noting this morning because in these other Gospels, especially uh, John and, and, uh, and, and Matthew, we get a whole lot more details. Some details are kind of different, but, but we get more details than in those stories than we do Mark. And so, for example, one of the main characters of the story, Mark leaves anonymous. He does not tell us who this is, even though we have gotten to know this character throughout the story uh, that Mark tells. But, he, but he, he does so, as we've learned, as we've journeyed through the book of Mark, Mark does that very intentionally. I think he's very careful on how he writes it. And so I want to respect how the author wrote this story this morning. We're not going to talk about the identity of this woman. But it is kind of worthy if you want to just, I don't know, take a picture, jot down those if, if you're curious and you want to maybe have some further reading this week. Let's be some great... Um, references to go ahead and, and look up, read the story from a different perspective. Let's go ahead and jump in to the word of the Lord this morning. It says, it was two days before Passover, 
in the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and legal experts, through cunning tricks, were searching for a way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But they agreed that it shouldn't happen during the festival, otherwise there would be an uproar amongst the people. You see, the chief priests and the legal experts, up until this point in the story, they have been adversaries of Jesus, and still are adversaries, the enemy of Jesus. However, they have plotted and tried to trick Jesus and trip him up for, for a long time now. But now we see the urgency, the tension rise. We see for the first time, they have a plot to kill Jesus. But they recognize that they can't kill him during the festival. Uh, this festival being Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread, it's this week-long celebration of God rescuing the Israelites and delivering them out of Egypt. That's the whole cause of this Passover week celebration. Now, here's, here's the thing. None of us have, you know, lived in the first century and, and, and traveled to Jerusalem so we don't really know what the Passover was, was like, right? And so uh, just to kind of like get it in our heads, maybe the best kind of analogy that I can come up with is the Walnut Valley Festival, okay? But bear with me for a second. Uh, the Walnut Valley Festival, uh, most of us, we know that uh, that was just a couple weeks ago. It's always the third weekend of September. And think for just a second what happens in our community at this time, there is an explosion of people in our community, right? People from out of town, people from out of state. In fact, the Walnut Valley Festival plans annually for about 15,000 people to attend the festival each year. 15,000 people. If you know kind of demographics of, of Winfield, we're just under 12,000. And so obviously, you know, some, maybe even a big number of that is, is going to be local people, but a lot of people, a huge influx of people coming into the city, and, and, and there's just this, this explosion of population in Winfield. And if you're invested in, in bluegrass culture, right, the festival culture, you know that it, it, the, the festival is also kind of like a homecoming, right? Where, like, if you go every year, you kind of get to know the same people. You kind of, uh, the, I don't know, get to know some faces. Maybe they're the only, it's the only time of year that you get to see certain friends. Um, and, and this was kind of the same thing, right? Um, in fact, we, we get this. Stan Polbin, he, he was here during uh, Bluegrass Weekend, and he, he provided a concert for us. And he's a guy we've kind of gotten to know. He comes around around Bluegrass time, and that's just, that's just how it is. It's a... It's a homecoming, getting to see, see some friends. And think what happens in our community, the business opportunity. It is ripe, right? This is the time of year where things like fundraisers and vendors line Main Street, and just those fundraisers are all over. But we know, right, the real business opportunity is garage sales. The yard sales are out. And you know, it, it cracks me up on my way to work every day around this time of year because when you're coming down Bliss, there's that, where they're building that apartment complex, they have that caution sign, and they have a sign, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look for it, you'll see it, it says, it is illegal to tape any sort of sign to city signs, right? Like, that's what it says. And it's just, Bluegrass Festival is just, boom, plastered all over that sign. It's, it, it's funny. And you're like, your address is on it. You think there would be some sort of repercussion. I don't know. But yard sales are just out in force. And, and, and it's during this time that there's all this food. We have parades. There's a whole lot more traffic to deal with. Now I'm starting to sound like a grumpy old man. Uh, there's a whole lot of smells. Some good. Some not so good. Uh, and these people, right, are all camping. And, and if it were not for, you know, the modern uh, glamping amenities, it would pose a real issue for people to, I don't know, bathe, keep clean, have AC and stay cool throughout the day. And so you can kind of imagine, this is kind of a microscopic scale of what the week of Passover was like in Jerusalem. 
And it's true, the population of Jerusalem would double, if not triple, in size during this week. In fact, Jerusalem, would, the surrounding cities and territories would be kind of, kind of go under the hat. They would be counted as Jerusalem because Jerusalem itself would not have the capacity to host this many people. And so a lot of the people, it's important for us to understand in the text this morning, a lot of the people thought that whenever the Messiah would come, uh, the, the one who was promised, whenever he came, uh, whoever he was, that he would capitalize on the week of Passover, this, this influx of the gathering of God's people into one place, that, that he might capitalize on this week to make his move, so to speak. To, to provoke his revolution and, and to really uh, begin uh, taking Israel, proclaim his kingship and take Israel to where they should be, defeating the oppressors and all that, that sort of thing. But instead, in this verse, and this is important, we see that the, through the plotting, through the scheming of the, the chief priests, and, uh, the, and, and the, they said, no, we cannot do it during the festival because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to cause issues with the Roman oppressors, right? We, we, we don't want to cause issue with the crowds who have been following Jesus, who are testifying to his miracles, and who are proclaiming him as Lord. We, 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 it can't be done this week. But I want us to notice that the enemies of Jesus are more now than ever. They are devoting themselves to their goal. They are scheming. They are plotting not only to arrest Jesus, but to kill, to arrange the death of Jesus. Truthfully, in their end goal, they are getting creative, right? We continue in our passage. It says, Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease. Simon the leper is what he's known as. It says, during dinner, a woman came in with a vase made of alabaster and containing very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke open the vase and poured the perfume on his head. And so, again, right off the bat, we see Mark's use of this theme the insiders and the outsiders. Those who get Jesus, who understand who he is and what he's all about, and those who do not. We see it at work already. You see, J Jesus, the Messiah, isn't even staying in Jerusalem near the temple. No, it says he's staying outside the holy city. And not only that, but with a former leper. This is the first example in this story we see of someone who the original reader would not think would understand Jesus, but does. And then you have this anonymous woman. Again, the other stories, if you read those in other places in the gospel, or if this story is familiar to you, you will know who this woman is. Mark leaves her anonymous. And so this anonymous woman intrudes into the gathering and anoints Jesus with this extremely expensive perfume. And folks, we've got to understand the, the gravity of the cost, the, the insane cost of this perfume. The scripture annotates that the cost of the perfume was about 300 denarii. And a single denarii was about a day's worth of wage, so maybe just kind of in the back of your head somewhere, you can kind of think like, okay, what's a rough figure of maybe what you, you make in, as an annual salary or, or someone in your field kind of makes the average place around here? I, I don't know, something you can kind of get a figure in your mind there. That's a roughly perhaps about what, what this perfume would cost. It was outrageous, very, very expensive stuff. And on top of that, as a woman, this, this woman likely didn't have a job that she could afford something this extravagant, something this expensive. So maybe it's likely this is also like a kind of a family heirloom of sorts. So maybe it has a, it definitely has a very high monetary uh, price to it, but it also likely has a sentimental or, or an emotional value to it as well. And so Mark notes that she 
purposefully breaks the flask. So she has to use all of it. It has a high monetary and personal value to it, but she chooses to use it for Jesus. Remember our question this morning. Church, how much is Jesus worth to you? And does the evidence in your life, your devotion to Jesus, match the answer that you give? You see, there is certainly evidence of this woman's devotion. No one can debate her devotion, yet they try. It's, it's interesting to me that, that Mark notes where the story takes place in Bethany, whose house it takes place in, Simon the leper's, but Mark chooses not to name the woman. And I think, Mark, the reason that Mark does this is, is this. Once again, Mark is trying to explain the, the, the very real truth to us that faithfulness does not always come from where we would most expect it to. This story doesn't happen in Jerusalem former leper's house, there's an unnamed woman. And yet, this is, this is about as backwards as the Messiah could possibly get it. And yet, she does something extravagant, something extraordinary. And so then, here is the reaction, the, the other people. A little bit later in the story, we find that the, the people who are here present is, are the disciples. And so here is the reaction of the disciples to this extravagant display of devotion to their Lord Jesus Christ. Some grew angry. They said to each other, why waste the perfume? This perfume could have been sold for almost a year's pay and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. The reason that they're talking about the poor isn't out of a selfish spirit. It was customary during over the week of Passover for financial gifts to be given in memory of the poor. So it was probably kind of it was a topical thing. It was something on their minds. And I want us to understand the reason the price of this particular perfume is so costly is it's like, it's like an international export. Uh, this perfume is made from the root of a plant that is only found in India. And, and so, I mean, it is, there's not a high availability of it. It takes a lot to get it there. It's, it's, there's many reasons. It's probably passed down, uh, like I said, as an heirloom or something to that effect. It's expensive. Another biblical reference that we have to the, the monetary value of the denarii uh, is in Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Remember, when Jesus made his intention known to, that he was going to feed the 5,000, there's this moment where the disciples kind of question Jesus. They kind of, they kind of brainstorm. They kind of have this mental tab of going, okay, if we're going to feed the, the entire 5,000, remember, it's, it's likely much more. That's probably the count of the men, 5,000. So the women and children, 10, 15,000. I mean, we don't know. But, but they kind of do this mental calculation, and they go, if we were to feed, Jesus, you want to feed 5,000 people, it would cost, and, and the scripture says then, it would cost roughly 200 denarii. 200 denarii. This perfume costs 300 denarii, more than it would take to feed 5,000 people. That is certainly an extravagant display of devotion to Jesus. And this is why the whispers begin amongst the disciples. Friends, here's a truth in the scripture for us this morning. Your devotion to Jesus will be criticized. Your devotion to Jesus will be criticized. Remember, Jesus said in just the last chapter, in the last few weeks, he said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. All doesn't refer to every individual on the face of the planet. It refers to all types of people. 
any person or institution that does not operate out of kingdom values will eventually find fault with those who do. This is truth. Your devotion will eventually be criticized. Here it is even Jesus' disciples, the ones who are supposed to get Jesus the most and understand who he is the most. But Mark presents them in this story as the outsiders. And perhaps maybe just a few examples, a, a family member just cannot wrap their mind around why you spend so much time at that dang church. They just can't get it. Uh, maybe a coworker can't understand why you refuse to participate in the negativity, the toxicity of the workplace. I think that was Ivy's first amen at me. That's pretty cool. The rest of you are quiet. She's doing great. So I'm just kidding. And maybe for, for uh, some of us, a friend is just baffled at how we practice generosity in our lives. It's different than what they know or see. And I don't know, maybe you go, I don't relate to any of those. I work at a wonderful place. My family is all involved in church. And, and, but, but granted, given enough time, enough exposure to the people and institutions of this world, eventually you will be criticized for your devotion to Jesus. If you display your devotion, if there's evidence to it, it will be criticized in some way, shape, or form. It'll happen. And in fact, maybe if you're like me, perhaps you are your own worst critic at times. Uh, countless times I've thought in, in various ministry contexts, you know, say for youth ministry, for example, it's like, you know, well, why can't there be more fruit? Why, why am I not seeing more fruit? What, why is it not happening fast enough? Or are we getting through to these students? You know, uh, there's, you know, probably one in the back on his phone or something right now, you know. Why? Why? And, and, and sometimes I, I maybe think these things to myself. And similarly, I, I wonder if whatever your ministry, whatever your devotion to Jesus, however it may be explained or, or practiced in your life. Maybe as, as a wife practicing the love of God towards her husband and the form of patience. Maybe a parent who is just terrified in, in, in a failing in the ministry of being a parent, of raising their child up in the ways of the Lord. Maybe as a driver for the church van, a Sunday school teacher, or maybe something, a ministry outside the church. Someone who otherwise endeavors to somehow else love God and love people. Friends, if you are one of these people, hear me, your devotion is not wasted. It's not. Your devotion, the way you express your devotion to Jesus, it is not wasted. One thing that I think is very interesting here is that if the disciples scold the woman for her extravagant display of devotion to Jesus, then the opposite is also true. If they are saying what she has done is wasteful, then they are implicitly suggesting that Jesus is not worth the extravagance in the first place. Can you imagine? The Messiah, right? The Messiah literally means the anointed. And here she is, she anoints the anointed. And the, how dare you? <laughs> what a waste. So the question that we must ask ourselves as we read this text is how much is too much devotion to Jesus? It kind of, what this conversation of is it worth it, is it not, it, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what it makes me think of is uh, some people in this world, if this is you, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, that this isn't me, but not, no shame. Some people Alyssa, <clears throat> some people, CJ, <clears throat> okay, so, some people, <laughs> some people really, really just love reality TV, right? I just, I just, I can't get behind this. I, the reality TV, you know what I'm talking about, The Bachelor, 
Oh, my goodness, yeah. Keeping up with the Kardashians. Oh, my God. I know. What, in my mind, I just go, what a waste of time. Just sit down and you listen to this. Like, it's just bickering. That's all it is. Like, okay. But, but some people, it doesn't stop there. Some people with reality TV, it's not just about watching it on TV. It's then going and, like, following the people on social media or, or like, Twitter or X or whatever it's called nowadays. And, and, and like, really paying attention. And then what gets me, it's so funny, these, these reality TV stars will, like, talk about how the show is, like, fake and corny and silly. And, but people still eat it up. Like, I just, I just don't understand it. And that is so true. Reality TV to me, it is just, it comes across as like staged, corny, um, just kind of silly. And why would you waste your time? (laughs) It's it's, it's how I think. And then there's football. (laughs) I love fantasy football. The last couple years, I have gotten sucked into the deep, dark abyss that is fantasy football. And and let me tell you, every week I spend time reading articles. I I spend time setting my lineup. I spend time sending trade offers, watching videos, playing the waiver wire. I'll spend time watching games that I have just one player in. I'll spend time watching games that I have no players in, but my opponent has a player in. I'll spend time watching games that I don't have a a player in, my opponent doesn't have a player in, but my opponent next week has a player in. I I mean, I Jersey, I mean, I just, everything, statistics, trying to be, you know, the smartest guy in in, in my league, and, you know, maybe I'll I'll text my dad, you know, throughout the week, we, we do a little bit of that. I spend a whole lot of time on not even just football, but fantasy football. And my wife uh, would probably, not probably, she has told me, what a waste of time. What a waste of time, right? <laughs> I know, I, therapeutic, I guess, a little bit. Uh, but but let, let me tell you this. This, this kind of seals the deal. I am a true millennial, okay? I am adamantly, 100% against, oh, I find them abhorrent. I, I cannot stand phone notifications. Every time you download that app, it says, do you want to allow notifications? No, like get off my phone. Like Groupon's having a sale. I don't care. I'll go to Groupon when I want to go to Groupon. Like don't, don't intrude on my business, okay? But let me tell you, I do not allow any notifications on my phone. My, my phone is very silent. It doesn't buzz all day. You text me, you call me, that's about it. And except <laughs> for my fantasy football breaking news alert. I got to get the details right when they happen. Like, this is an investment in my time um, of, of how I spend even my week. And, and the question is this, how do we determine if something is worth our investment? And the metrics might different from person, differ from person to person. H- how do we de- decide if it's worth our time maybe even our finances, how do we determine if it is worth our investment? And this same question then must be asked of Jesus. How do we determine if he is worth our investment? The answer is very simple. In fact, it's displayed in the actions of an anonymous woman. She is the only one in this story who recognizes Jesus for who he truly and rightfully is and acts on it. Similarly, friends, Jesus is either worth our investment or he's not. It is one of one or the other. He is worth our investment or he is not. And that is based upon the answer to one simple question. Is Jesus who he says that he is. If, if Jesus is faker than reality TV and imaginary football points, th- then put your investment somewhere more practical. But if, friends, if Jesus is worth uh, the investment, if Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, 
if he is the only one who can heal that which separates us from God, then certainly he is worth the investment. Certainly, if he is who he says he is, there is no waste when it comes to our devotion displayed for him. In fact, by this understanding, the offering of donation in this story and in our own lives, it can only be extravagant if Jesus is not who he says he is. If, if, if Jesus is the Son of God, and friends, he is, then it's not extravagant. It's an appropriate response. Jesus then goes on to respond to the non-understanding disciples. He says, it says, Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do something good for them. But you won't always have me. I love this particular line here. She has done what she could. She's done what she could. This vernacular causes me to kind of think about circumstances where maybe I've, I've washed my hands of a certain situation. You know what I'm talking about? Something I've grown frustrated or bored with. I, I've done what I can do. You know, there, there's, there's been a few projects around my house, especially we're kind of in a baby mindset, right? There's a few projects that need done around the house. And uh, when I have exhausted my patience on a project or I have exhausted the bottom of the YouTube playlist of how to fix it or whatever, <laughs> then I've kind of, I reach this point where I'm like, well, I, you know, I've done what I can do, you know. Uh, time to call my father-in-law, you know. <laughs> and, and, and this is kind of my, this is kind of my, my mentality. Is, 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 well, I've, I've done what I can do, you know, on to the next thing, the next thing that needs my attention. Friends, can I confess to you this morning, I, I, I've, I've, in, in my own life, maybe in the life of the, the church at large, not just us, but the church in, uh, together, the universal church, I've, I've begun to just, especially in my own life, I, I don't like relying on the parable of sowing the seed. I don't like a, a, an unfinished product. I don't like going, well, you know, I, 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 I've this, I have tried my best, and I've done what I can do. They just don't get it. They just don't understand it. I, I've done what I can do. And, and in place of, I don't know, doubling down in ministry effort, where have we said, well, you know, we, we've done what we can do. We chalked it up to, well, we're just planting seeds. Someone else will, will water that. And, and hear me, there is a place for that. And sometimes that is our reality, that we are the one who plants the seeds and someone else will participate in the harvest. But I could never imagine going to someone who I'm accountable to and just kind of shrugging my shoulders saying, well, you know, the, the job didn't get done, but, you know, I, I did all I could do. I, I did what I could do. No, the solution is I would work harder or longer. I would do whatever it takes to fulfill the responsibility that has been entrusted to me. But the phrase here, she has done what she can do. It, it has a different tone when Jesus says it. It's not a lack of attention to detail. In fact, these words, I would be so happy if Jesus spoke them about me. He's done what he can do. Instead of, of having this own self kind of evaluation or, or missing the mark, it is a divine proclamation. He's done what he can do. She has done what she can do. Here, here's my point. Here's what I'm getting at. When there are certainly going to be times when we are about planting seeds, and that will be our role, our goal as a church, our goal as individuals, our goal as followers of Jesus is not to plant seeds. That is not our goal. Our goal is to express devotion, to express faithfulness to that which God has called us to do. Friends, there, there's a difference, right? Sometimes it will be in, in planting seeds, sowing the seeds. 
But that's not the goal itself. The goal is to be devoted to our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference. I, I think back to Mark chapter 12 and the widow who gives two small coins. And Jesus, what does he do? He calls this good. He gives her a similar commendation. She has done what she can do. Friends, there will be times where everything you have to offer in either time or effort is the equivalency of the poor widow bringing her two coins. There will also be seasons where in generosity, maybe in creative display like this anonymous woman, we can offer our devotion to our Lord in abundance. Is that not true? This, Jesus says, is good too. The reason that the, uh, the anonymous woman's actions were so well received is because this wasn't a command. This was not expected from her. This was not placed upon her from an authoritative figure. This was her, out of her own creativity, responding in the only way that she thought she could, in the best way that she thought she could. She responded with creative devotion. She acted of her own best idea, purely out of devotion to Jesus. Friends, Jesus is inviting us to do whatever we can do to love God and to love others. And whether that looks like a lot or it looks like a little, that is irrelevant. He doesn't ask us to do what others can do. He asks us to do what you can do. She did what she can do. It goes on, we read, she has anointed my body ahead of time for burial. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that whoever in the whole world the good news is announced, wherever in the world the good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. We practice the uh, uh, anointing uh, as, as healing, the anointing in the form of a healing prayer. That's something we do very regularly around here. But you know that there's other biblical precedents, reasons that one might be anointed, right, in this Jewish culture. Uh, the first, real quickly, would be to anoint and honor, exalt a guest who has come into your home. A dab of oil on the forehead. You would, you would just, you would welcome them and show them their importance and that you care. Could that be what maybe this woman had, was trying to do or, or play on? We see this in Psalm 23, right? David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In, in certain circumstances, a king might have been anointed when his right to rule was called into question. We saw how Samuel anointed Saul in this way. Bodies would be cleaned and anointed with oils so as to slow the decomposition process. Uh, the, the allowing uh, friends and family to mourn and have the period of grief. This would be another reason to anoint. And lastly, like we said, in the case of Jesus, the Messiah literally meant the anointed. And so which of these reasons was this woman playing on? The truth is, we don't know. There's a whole lot of theories out there. We don't know. Friends, I say all this to say this. Your acts of faithfulness, you have no idea how God might use them. Your displays of devotion, you have no idea how God can use those to work those. And here we see an example of it. Did she know? Maybe, but maybe not. And what if she didn't? Jesus interpreted it this way, that it was the anointing of his body uh, before his death. And he again proclaims his coming death. This faithfulness God used in a big way. And, and the scripture says she will be remembered wherever in the world the good news is told. Did she anticipate that? I bet not. Friends, our devotion 
can be used in incredible ways, ways we, we can't even begin to understand. I think, again, going back to the feeding of the 5,000, what was necessary for this miracle was not that the disciples understood how Jesus planned to feed the 5,000. It wasn't the process that they needed to understand. It wasn't the end goal of how Jesus was going to accomplish it. No, it was literally to just pass a basket around. The faithfulness. And God used that. And so we continue on and, and, and we, we wind down with the, the last part of our scripture here. In verse 10 it says this, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. Think of this, there's an anonymous woman who Mark omits his, uh, her name. And here Judas is doubly, triply named. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. Why? Because he went to the chief priest to give Jesus up. When they heard it, they were delighted. Remember, they had decided amongst themselves, we're going to wait until after the Passover week. But when they heard it, they were delighted and promised to give him money. So he started looking for an opportunity to turn him in. The line is drawn. Judas literally and figuratively becomes the outsider. The chief priests, the legal experts, even this disciple are set against Jesus in his very life. And it is these do-not examples that elevate the story of the anonymous woman as the example of faithfulness and devotion that we should follow. Real quick, <laughs> Alyssa and I, like I said, we're, many of you know we're expecting our first. And so we kind of have baby on our brains right now doing lots of work in the nursery, and uh, this weekend we, we got to uh, take our maternity photos. We're very excited about that. But one of the things, too, as we have baby on our mind, is you come to our house, we listen to a whole lot of music about babies, right? Like, you know, like, you know the country songs, and yeah, yeah I mean, there's all that stuff. And, and, and I want to just share a couple lyrics from one, one song. Adele, the best singers, I think, in, in, in the modern area. Uh, she has just this incredible voice, uh, but she, I think, is a, is a good songwriter, too, and, and she uh, writes this, this song documenting the arrival of her first child, and, and she, she talks about, like, this moment when, like, she holds her baby for the first time, like, her entire being is reoriented. And, like, that's, like, one thing I'm really, like, in, anticipating, like, getting to hold my baby for the first time, and, like, you know, that that you see in the movies and TV, you know, maybe some of you can share your, your wisdom on that uh, with me later, but um, Adele talks about it, and she writes about it, and she sings about it, and, and how her life is no longer about her. It is now her entire devotion to this baby, and, and maybe it's just because I have baby on the mind, but I, I'd like to read to you just a few lines from this song. And I want you to call to mind, how might you relate? The way that Adele talks about devotion to her child, can we relate this definition of devotion to how we are devoted to Jesus? Can, can we relate that? And then what is the evidence of that? Let's think and reflect on that. I'm going to read to you this. She, she sings, I wasn't ready then. The song is called Sweetest devotion, by the way. I wasn't ready then. I'm ready now. I'm heading straight for you. You will only be eternally the one that I belong to. The sweetest devotion hit me like an explosion. All of my life I've been frozen. The sweetest devotion I know. I'll forever be whatever you want me to be. Just remember that come whatever, I'll be yours all along. And there is something about the way you love me that finally feels like home. I'm skipping around a little bit, but you're my light. You're my hope. The sweetest devotion hit me like an explosion. The sweetest devotion I know. Friends, let's allow the grace of God to do in us a new work 
The invitation in the text this morning for us is simply this. Can we be creative, maybe even intentional, with our devotion, our acts of devotion to our Lord Jesus, not in an attempt to pay him back, not in an attempt to earn our keep? We could never do that. But simply because Jesus, the object of our devotion, he is worth it. Uh, maybe for some of us, uh, a response of devotion, maybe, maybe this week would look like just and repentance to, to turn from the thing that separates us in this life between us and God, to recognize Jesus' role in that and relationship. Maybe, maybe. But for some of us, I think, what if we practiced a, a call to greater generosity, not to, to just operating from, I don't know, our, our usual generosity? <laughs> uh, I want to say leftovers, but that sounds, I think we are a generous people. But what if we, we responded in greater generosity? Uh, what if for some of us it's, it's time to stop sitting on the sidelines and to get into the game, uh, to, to, to respond, to make a commitment? Uh, maybe there's, there's something that God has instilled in your heart, something you've been arguing yourself out of, keeping yourself from, to sign up, to have the conversation, to step out in faith, to love, pray, care for that person. What creative or intentional demonstration of your devotion could you offer to Jesus this week? It might be criticized. It might seem wasteful to others. It might seem small or meek compared to what others have to offer. And you have no idea how God might use your devotion. But in this, we're confident, friends. Jesus, he's worth it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for being a God who is faithful in our lives, you who, uh, being a God who is at work in our lives. Father God, cultivate in us new things. Perfect in us your vision of faith, God. God, we want to be stirred, spurred into something new forward. Father God, that, that we might be able to Practice devotion, not in extravagance. <laughs> Maybe it looks that way to others, but in an appropriate response. Because, Father God, we know it is not wasted on you. Our devotion is entirely owed to you. Father God, be with us as we, we seek to be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. And be with us now as we leave this place. We pray these things in your heavenly precious name. Amen.